Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. In the past episode, this last episode, um, I was able to share with you the presentation I did at a conference entitled The Biblical Sexual Ethics and Integrity Conference for Parents. Um, In this episode, I'm actually joined on stage with my host at the conference, Julia Garrison, as we answer questions uh, from from those that were present. Um, If you have questions, even listening to this, would love for you to email them to me at questions at healinglives.com, and would love to hear from you. Um, So join us as we answer some tough questions. So I'll welcome you back to the stage, Doctor. Awesome. So we're just, I'm just going to kind of jump right into it, if that's okay. Um, oh, you do that? Yeah. You know your thing? Um, so uh, one, of the, one of the questions that came to the top here was, my teenager seems to be attracted to the same sex, and I don't know how to address this with them. How do I ask them without hurting them or our relationship? This is one of those, part of our talked about how um, you want to kind of spend the, t- the single digit years talking. We want to plant seeds ahead of time so that we can have these. But it's never too late. So this becomes where it's it's later. So now you start seeing something, you start hearing um, what they're talking. To me, the simple word is curious. You need to be curious about their life in all areas. So being able to actually ask them questions about their life, that might get you to a, a clue, okay, there's something going on here. But then it's constantly and consistently planning a biblical worldview. That is our calling as parents. Are any of us ready for it? No. I spend my life studying this stuff, and it still is a difficult conversation with my kids. It's not comfortable at times. They don't make it comfortable at times, because they have their own free will again, which is annoying. <laughs> so they, like, I, my middle son just argues about everything. And so my wife will actually glare at me sometimes, because I just get baited in, and then we're off the rails. And so she helps correct me or get me back on course. Because uh, our personalities are a little too similar. So to me, it's go there, talk about it, don't be afraid. Um, if This is kind of like if your kid is showing signs of being suicidal, ask them if they're suicidal. Yeah. Don't be afraid. You're not going to plan, oh, I never thought of that. Thanks for bringing it up, Mom. I'm going to go kill myself. That's <laughs> not what happens. So don't. But that tends to be a fear for so many of us. So don't be afraid to ask. Will they... Just possibly be insulted that you ask if you're wrong? Yes. It's also another chance to for to restore, to continue that relationship. It's like so then why asking questions like why would I think that? Why would I come to that conclusion based off because they may not be aware of kind of what they're putting out there or the way they're coming across or the way they're talking. So it's all discipleship. If you think of that word, I've actually I ditched the word counseling a long time ago. I don't even say I do counseling. To me, it's discipleship. 
I'm walking alongside people. They're doing the hard work, not me. And it's growing them into to be more like Christ. That's the job. That's my job. That's my heart. That's my our job as parents is the same. So I would go there. And something that highlights to me in this question is seems to be attracted. Mm-hmm. So one of the things around this that so I'm um, if anybody's heard of cognitive behavioral therapy CBT. So we talk a lot about what we call cognitive distortions, and there's typically 15 of the most common. One of them's called catastrophizing, another one's called jumping to conclusions. And so that's where you see something and your brain goes from zero to 100, right? They might have an earring that has a certain resemblance of a flag from the LGBTQ+, right? Like it's not even the flag, but it's a resemblance of that. And, or there's some kind of cue or indicator that you have seen or deemed into the group of the other, right? Which we know is not what we, sh- we need to believe, it's, it's our people, right? But in your brain, you might think, okay, that's, that's an indicator of this thing. And your brain goes from zero to 100 of catastrophizing. Oh my gosh, they're gonna do this next, and these conversations are gonna happen, and then what about this? And you get so worked up in your own, and not just parents, we do this as peers, we do this as family members. I remember I saw a picture of my niece like five years ago, and I went through this whole narrative in my head when it was literally a joke between her and her girlfriend, like her, her friend, right, that was a girl. And I was like, like, you know, and I teach this stuff and I got caught up in it. Another one's jumping to conclusions, which is similar, where it's just, it, it's saying, it, it's again going from, I see this, and so then therefore we're gonna jump all the way over here. It's like that Candyland game, right? We're like, ding, 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 slide all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> you know, we've come to a whole different place that's not even based on the evidence that you're seeing. So that would be one thing that I would say is sometimes that keeps you from having conversations because you've created a, rea- a whole other reality imagination land up in here, right? When your kids should just maybe experimenting or like trying new colors or trying new things. And I'm sticking to the word color, but I hope you know it's more than that. Um, and then one other thing I want to add to this is, <coughs> my question is, is what's keeping you from asking the question? And one of the things that I wonder if you have to sit with, any of us have to sit with, when we're, when we see something in someone else that we don't want to talk about, this isn't just same-sex attraction, it can be a, a plethora of different things, and what is it that's keeping us from asking? And one of the questions I wonder is, do we think it's somehow our fault, right? Or will it prove something about our relationship that I don't want to have proven, right? And that might keep us. And I just want to let you know, especially when we're talking about kids, they are attuned to your body. They are attuned to you more than you can possibly fathom. They read and understand and pick up on things that aren't coming from your verbal. That They're picking up on other stuff. And so again, like I said last night, you might be dealing with your own junk, and it might be about you, but they're picking it up. And kids are what we call egocentric. They will take everything from their environment and say, this is about me. That's why when divorces aren't about kids, and again, no shame on on the person who is divorced. God doesn't like divorce, right? Not the person, right? We we have love for that, of the person. Kids walk away thinking it was my fault. Mom and dad got divorced, right? Not all the time, but that's an example that's heard a lot. Again, because kids are egocentric. They're meant to do that. That's how they're wired. Granted, it's part of parents' job to help them get out of that, right? But I don't know if you'd add anything else. Well, so what, what you just said, kind of paying off that, um, is it your fault? I would say yes. But then what do you do with that? Well, the best, I think, most freeing things I ever heard was from Dan Allender, where he basically said every single one of his parents fail. And we actually admit that we fail, 
it's much more redemptive than acting like we know it all and that we're just all you know cup of tea wherever like no we fail like so admit it what's the best gift i can give my kids be teachable let them say i'm sorry that's some of the ways especially when they're older teens one of the best ways we can mentor them is to actually be able to learn from them mm-hmm. and to say i'm sorry i failed. i was too harsh there or man i was way too soft there and be able to show my parents' generation was the generation of almost like perfection. So kids were rejecting, well, I can't be perfect like them, so forget you and your God. <laughs> I am very much about this transparency of my kids know my failures. They know my hurts. They know me. This kind of mentioned last night even. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so critical. Do they know everything? No. The highlights. And that's where I think we use those redemptively to, to lead them. We're going to fail. So own that where I miss this. It's, it's, I deal a lot with sexual abuse, and it's like how many parents live their rest of their lives in absolute beating themselves up for, well, I should have known you didn't. And there's actually no way you could have this likely. So, wrong road to go down. Versus, I was meant to be their protector and I failed. I surrender that. And I have this beautiful gift of a savior. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to stay there. Because I am on in process too. It's such a cool thing. I'm growing just like they're growing. Just why our first kids are an experiment, right? <laughs> I'm glad you're here. And I don't think I can say the things that you say. <laughs> I don't have children. Uh, how do I foster, the next question, how do I foster our son's gentle heart without making it sound like he isn't created perfectly as he strives to enter what society says he should look at? I'm going to say that one more time. Where did it go? How do I foster our son's gentle heart without making it sound like he isn't created perfectly as he strives to enter what society says he should look and act? To me, that's the beautiful thing, his gentle heart. That should be celebrated. And the idea of even masculinity, I think we need some really good definitions of masculinity and femininity, and they're, they're very distorted. So how to be a gentle, gentle man who's a leader, but it also might mean you're leading from you know, the, the behind the scenes. You're not up front. And so the kind of person they are, you're nurturing all those. That's the talents and skills. And um, what does that look like? I do also do think that we as parents need to veto some stuff. Uh, there's certain things that I think we just give into and let our kids do that we should have said no. And you might even have that little intuition, but we are almost too kid-centric. Mm-hmm. They want to do this sport, so we do it. And it totally hijacks the whole family for the next season to their detriment. That's different than the family that loves doing it. So be careful what you commit to and what's in within reality. We actually chose to homeschool our kids because I was in out of hospitals. Like, it wasn't for some other reason. We lived in Georgia where 99% of the teachers were Christians and a very different culture than Oregon is um, in, in Washington, but we chose because it was a survival as I was a mess. And so we got through that season but also learned to love that as a family, the, the culture of it. So our oldest is a junior this year in high school. So our kids think they know what they want. So I think this gentle spirit is what are, what, are you, what are you passionate about and what's realistic? Sometimes the other area that tends to hold us back is financial. 
we can't do that for the finances. So that's part of the transparency of our family of kind of, we only have X number of dollars, so we need to decide if we're gonna do this, well, something else has to go. And partner with them in trying to make those decisions versus <clears throat> you as the executive team trying to do it and them having no clue why. This is more of that mentoring them as to, you know what, if we want to do that, we might have to sell our house and get a smaller one. Like those kind of decisions have to be made. We have to go down to one car and yes, do that. We did uh, one car and a motorcycle for five years. That's all we, could, we couldn't afford anymore and I wasn't going to give up the bike. I'm stubborn. So rain or shine, snow or sleet, I was suiting up for that bike. But it was also 40-something you know, miles per gallon and 100 bucks in insurance a year, and so it was saving money. But as kids got more mobile, as when they were little, and activity, we had to add a go to cards. These decisions as a family make them as a family at times, or most of the time. Your son's heart, I think, is the most critical thing. I've told a lot of families of high schoolers, you could stop school today, you probably should stop school today, and spend the next year or two focused on their heart because you're about to lose them. Forget math, forget all this other ridiculous junk they're supposed to learn if you lose their heart. And sometimes I think we don't go that route. And we just go keep doing what we were supposed to do and we miss their heart. What they worship, who they worship is probably the most important thing as they're wrestling with worshiping themselves. I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay, so when I see this, as he strives to enter what society says he should look and act like, mm -hmm. what I think about is, what would you, knowing what you know now, the parent, the man that you are now, going back into the years that you came into this country and you were standing out um, for different reasons, and you talked about pinks and purples, where in our society and right now in time, those are typically more feminine colors. What would you, and you've said you, you had a more... Um, emotive way of being and you know these little ways that you've mentioned yep. what would you now how would you cultivate and and nurture and speak and parent that younger version of you I would have emphasized that it wasn't wrong because I um, I remember my sister used it against me one time and she's like everyone at Chester was in college everyone's asking if you're gay because I wore this certain sweater to some event and I spent a year going in circles. I know I'm not, but why would someone think that? I was so clueless. I needed mentoring. I needed guidance and I wasn't getting it anywhere. Which is probably why I do what I do. <laughs> it leads into a lot of our traumas lead into what we do. But I, I wish I could have known I was okay. And that it's okay to love to do all those things. Some of you are very artsy. Enjoy it. Some of you are very tomboy. Enjoy it. Like it's ridiculous what we have gone in this country um, off the rails when it comes to the definitions of that. Right. So. right. Yeah. And, and in that, I'm also hearing if there's different things that, and, and there's so much information out, out, out there on this, but um, if, if your son is gravitated towards nurturing baby dolls when he's growing up, right? Like, again, watch your jumping to conclusions. Don't catastrophize this, okay? Let, let them play with the with the dolls and 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 I know there there's there's boundaries to things but also why do we, why would we want to shame that and then they get older and we get mad at uh, husbands and and fathers for not nurturing 
You know, it's like how, you know, just that's just one example that's kind of popped into my head. Yeah, even in seminary, I had an apartment at one point. I painted my room purple and had a Little Mermaid water around it. <laughs> I had issues. <laughs> but to look back on that and realize, you know, we all are doing that in some way with the persona that we present. Oh my gosh, what we, how we interpret it is scary. The, the judgment we actually have. And so. Uh, real quick, I don't share my story very often, uh, but like many of those who have been up here, I've been reflecting on what it would have been like for me uh, to grow up in this time right now. And I hit six foot in eighth grade. I was five, nine in sixth grade. I was a big girl in a very small town. And I liked, well, basketball liked me. Everybody wanted me to like basketball. And then I think I was 18 before I liked basketball, but still. So there was athleticism, there was this mass, and, and basketball is known for a bit, a bit more masculine presentation. I was a post, so that means I basically just like grunted and hit people all the time, you know? Like, but there was this way, like I loved it, and I, I, I wasn't into makeup, I wasn't into some of these things. My, my, my friends were dating all the time. We had T9 text flip phones at that time, and I couldn't care less about any of that. And there was a while there where I was like, I was kind of questioning some things about myself, like why am I not super interested in that? Like, I, I, and so the movie Love and Basketball came out, and there was a, please don't let, why coaches let us watch that movie on buses? I'm still like, what is, anyway, but there was a line in that movie that she said, I'm dating Spalding, and for those who don't know, Spalding is a basketball brand, and for me that was like an out, to be able to say like, I'm dating Spalding, and people could laugh at it and then not ask me any more questions about why I wasn't dating. You know what I mean? And why I, I, I wore the things that I wore and I just presented a little bit different. And then I went on to college basketball and then for sure, I mean, how many women have hit on me in my life and how many people have asked my orientation just because of what I chose to do in that way? So that's just another example of like, I would have, I think I would have really experimented or tried a different direction because I wanted to fit in, right? And so just again, more conversation around that. Um, I just felt like I wanted to share that piece. Yeah. Yeah. So you had Little Mermaid, I had Spalding. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus loves us. <laughs> I am the only rel next question. I am the only relative invited to a very small non-church marriage ceremony for a twenty-something in an alternative lifestyle. Uh, they know I am a Christian, but have denounced God. That she has a denounced God. Shall I attend? So my journey with this has always been marriage is going to a wedding is you affirming the union, and I really had to wrestle that with that when I watched a fellow professor of mine not go to his daughter's wedding because he disagreed who she was marrying. And do you think they have a relationship to this day? No. And I'm like, I have, I, what do you do? But I really do believe that being present, it's like baptism. That, that it's a sacrament. Both of them are. And it's not meant to be we baptize and everyone claps. It's both ways. It's me pronouncing this, but those present pronouncing, I am now to hold you responsible to your vow, to your commitment. And the one wedding I've ever performed, that was the part I added, and I've seen it a few other times, where there's the vows between the husband and wife here, but there's also a vow for those present saying, I'm not to hold you accountable to your wedding vows. I believe in that. Mm -hmm. So to go and to, to support someone, to be there is to support someone. 
what do you do when it's someone that you love? This changed everything, though. It's not a wedding. It's an expensive party. And I would say they know what you believe. That's that's the non-issue. That's not even the issue. So don't even bring it up. Go and support your friend. And there's a I've gone I flip-flop back and forth on this one. I really have struggled with biblically speaking and relationally. Do I or do I not? And I come back to that long game. I want to have that relationship with you because your life's gonna fall apart. Something will happen. It always does for all of us. Um, I hate I hate that I was laying in a hospital one time after a motorcycle wreck. My son was on the back. He was fine. And I'm sitting there looking at my biker guys going, I hate that this has to happen for me to see that I'm loved. But sometimes it's what it takes for us to realize it. So I, at the moment, lean on, go to, go to that celebration and grieve for them. Be a part of their life. But I think it's a very personal decision. I think you may have to really be prayerful about it. You know what? I cannot in right consciousness be at this. And they know that. And they know I love them. And you don't attend. And you continue the relationship. But be very prayerful about this. But the part that really kind of changed things for me was to remind myself that is not something sealed in heaven or on earth. Whatever you want to call it. It is not a, it's not a marriage. Um, in my eyes and what I believe is God's eyes. It's an expensive party. I hope that helps. If a student comes to you and says, I'm really struggling with pornography, how do you best encourage them to steer away from that? And I'm guessing that means pornography, not from the student. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not about pornography. So to me, I would make it about what they're actually looking for. Um, most of the habits with pornography or masturbation even is so in their unconscious and it's a habit and they're not thinking about it. So just talking to someone changes everything. And so that's the uh, critical, and it's not even accountability. It's not even that, where they um, need to call you at 3 a.m. because I'm struggling. That's not even what I'm talking about. Just voicing that I'm struggling, it moves it into a, a place of accountability, out of my unconscious to conscious. And I must take my thoughts captive there. So I am stewarding it. So the goal here is to help them understand what's really going on in their life and why is that the choice of, of you know, finding something or releasing something. Um, my favorite book I've ever read about that was Jay Stringer's book, Unwanted. Yeah. I have taught in this area for years. He put it in a way that I have been trying to find the words to put it in that way. It was so well done and redemptive in terms of every time you do anything in desiring, you're doing what God created you to do. And there's good ways to do this and unhealthy ways to do this. So what we do if we're not careful is we kill desire. And it's just all sin and all bad. It's like, no, you're meant to see someone that you think they're beautiful and to, to see and have, even have desire Lust is desire gone mad. It's desire, but it's off the rails. Something that Dan Allender says. And I love that picture. You're, you're looking at pornography, you're looking for something. Why? Some of it, again, for some boys and some girls, it's just utter habit. It is. They're not even thinking about it. So just making it conscious, they quit. They're done. It's actually, it's not, not even an addiction. For others, it's very much a relationship with it that they actually really have to learn to kill and replace with something else. 
The other thing is, how many of us just have way too much downtime? So I suggest, personally, husbands and wives, you need to go to bed at the same time. You need to be, you need to be kind of in a rhythm together. That's hard when you have day, you know, day people in, with the night person. And um, I don't remember saying this, but when I first married Kelly, that was something I asked. I said, I want us to be going to bed at the same time. So for us, that's midnight or one now. Uh, we're late night people. I might I see clients till 11 p.m. two or three nights a week. Um, since COVID, I've just been busy, busy, busy with that. And um, kids are older, and it's been a, I've been able to did not do it at all when the kids were younger. Um, but when I come home, this is personalities. I still have about 10,000 words to get out. Yeah. And my wife finished her max around 11 a.m. <laughs> so um, she's very patient with me. But I'll come in at midnight sometimes or even 12.30 from a client's house. And I still have to talk through and just, just talk. And she's, that's been beautiful. It's also protected from those alone times. Just, there's not temptation there, which is so helpful. No devices in bedrooms. And I actually would say for some couples, you need to make that a, a, a boundary for yourselves. You're laying in your bed and you're just scrolling. Put the phone in another room by an alarm clock. We need a relationship with these things. How many of us have been halfway to work and gone home to get our phone because we forgot it? Because you like life will end if I don't have it. You've got a problem. <laughs> we have a problem. So being able to kind of think through what are those boundaries. We don't use internet filters at our house. We don't have any of that stuff. Um, we have lots and lots and lots and lots of conversations. So we we didn't. We, there's times I've wanted to put them, but what does it, almost every team do? They know how to get around everything. So just don't play that game. It's a lot easier to catch them. Yeah. That is the first time I've heard a parent say that. I'm still processing yeah. the, part. the internet filter. That's, yeah, I'm, it's just I haven't heard it yet. And I think that's really powerful to the culture that you've created in your home. And I've tried all sorts of apps for the phones and stuff. I can't stand any of them. Yeah. It's, they, either they find their way around them, or we forget something, and there's an update, and it messes up, and now they're slipping through the cracks. Or, and I've learned a lot from my teens, where they show me, well, here's how I broke them. <laughs> Thank you for showing. Um, so they're my teachers as well sometimes, but same for their friends. Uh, one thing I'd like to put some uh, to the question, oop, I just missed it. Uh, was it pornography? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was that one? Okay, sorry, it went away on my screen. Uh, so I had three things. <laughs> so just like when you mentioned suicide earlier, just like when um, you, you're concerned about someone in your life um, hurting themselves, you say the words. Has a part of you thought about killing yourself? Have you had any thoughts about death? You say death, you say suicide, you say killing yourself, you say these words because I, I hope by now you've, you've heard enough by saying it doesn't mag magically make it happen it actually helps the person typically feel seen, right? And it gives, it, it removes the taboo from these languages. So when we're talking about pornography, and this is where I'm a little novice about age-appropriate conversations, and we're gonna talk about that more, but use the word masturbation. If that word makes you cringe or it's hard to say, go in front of your bathroom mirror and say <laughs> masturbation. <laughs> masturbation. <laughs> 
masturbation, masturbate, masturbation. Like I'm serious, you know, like get it, get it out so that when you're saying it to the youth or who you're around, right? Does masturbation make you feel good when you've had a stressful day, right? Like talk about it, use these languages so that you're not like, Right, <laughs> you know that thing, that one. You know, like you get what I'm, what I'm feeling. There's a, there's a, a way of saying it that that can help it feel like it's not taboo. Um, I also want to talk about the soothing response. So I love the nervous system. If, if everyone, I wish the nervous system was a class in elementary school. Like we could all just learn about the nervous system. And so part of the nervous system is called the parasympathetic. It's the rest and digest. It's the Ooh, it's the kind of coming down. It's when I when you start breathing and engaging in your breath, you start to kind of feel a little bit better. It's where the, the sexual response feelings happen. Sleep, sex, and substances all activate your parasympathetic. What are some of our worst addictions? Sexual addiction, substance addiction, and and folks who sleep, <coughs> right? Cope with sleep. You're not bad because you do these things. This is the way that you've learned to soothe your nervous system. And this is the other thing I wanna say. If you haven't heard of Jay Stringer or Adam Young, now's the time. I've, in their resource list, they are all the way at the bottom. They talk about subtle sexual abuse. Their conference that I went to in preparation for this, I did it for this, and I couldn't get through 30 minutes of it because my own story was coming up. And I was like, oh my gosh, like the content that they're sharing, this is not common knowledge. And so they talk about unwanted sexual behavior and Jay Stringer does a great job coaching and teaching on this. And so I just wanna give that to you as a resource as well because your story is important and how uh, Laura mentioned your sexual templates, your arousal templates, all that stuff's factored into this and so they're a great resource. Okay, uh, last question uh, before we wrap up this session. Um, how would you navigate the trauma hurt caused by the church? i.e. saying that the church has an obligation to teach morality, but for some, the church has been the main cause of hurt. There's so much hurt from the church. The thing is, is it's the, almost even the interpretation of what's even being said. So sometimes it's not even the intent. I don't think, yes, there are very abusive leaders. Absolutely, yes. But oftentimes it's the more subtle. It's the more... Um, the way I received it, like I mentioned with like Pastor Purity, I mentioned it to a friend of mine um, son, last Sunday. He goes, oh my gosh, my daughters were harmed by that. I was like, really? I want to talk to them. And so they're both adults. Um, so that's in, in the works. But then we talked through what the difference was. Well, he did play on the audios and they talked a little bit and then they were done. The weekend. We talked and 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 talked. That's what I do for a living anyway. But it's like, it's giving them a space to feel and to feel heard and to wrestle and to ask questions. Where my 14-year-old, this is just a few weekends ago, was asking very blunt questions that were, you don't hear from a 14-year-old. But we had created over three days this space that that's not normal. What I realized now with my 16-year-old, he's driving now, I've lost, what, car time. Man, does it take some work to get intentional to, to get that time back where we can have some deeper conversations and it's probably more important than ever. So trying to, we do that on some, some campouts with scouts, but even there I'm more with other people than, so it takes intentionality. 
the church has um, has a responsibility to teach morality, has a responsibility to teach biblical truths. I think where a lot of people are even hurt is they don't like hearing it. So that's another area to wrestle in. So a lot of what happens in our churches, it really comes down to what's what happens up here on stage and um, what's being taught. Think of even a, a church where you have the senior pastor and they're the only one that speaks. It's not always a good thing. We need some different voices. I remember when our pastor allowed me to, to do a conference and be the keynote for this big sexuality conference a few years ago. It's such an honor because he doesn't tend to have others on the stage very much. But he was very careful about even who he co has come in. Because there's other, that other piece as well. We at the university I was at in Georgia, we would have people come in and speak um, at the school and spend the next six months cleaning up the mess from what they said. So that's that's the other part of why a senior pastor tends to have kind of it's my pulpit. Um, we need to be able to talk in the church of what are we a group of really good awesome individuals, or is this the hospital? This is the hospital. This is where we need one another. We need community. We need communion. We need to do life together. But how many of you here even, but also those that sit in these pews every single day, every single weekend, go home lost. They feel very alone. They don't actually have community. Um, you have four services here on the weekend. My joke for some churches is, have you gotten your quota in? You get four shots to get in your little church check on your little thing for God. And if we're careful, that's kind of what we treat it like. Well, I kind of check, and then Monday I go back to being my old self, or Sunday afternoon. <laughs> So we actually all have to, I guess, work that out. Well, where do you work it out in community? That means community groups. That means life groups. That means Sunday school. I like that word Sunday school better. Let's go back to that. Um, let's do life together um, where there's some space to actually say, hey, you know what? This confused me or this hurt me or I was harmed at this church. So we talk about and process, and, and that's the community. I was a, when I met my wife, I was a part of her small group at her church. Her dad was the pastor. I never said a word in that group. I was terrified. I'm dating the pastor's daughter. I was horrified. It became the therapy group. They called it the therapy group. I never said a word. My being there <laughs> led them, and this was an intergenerational, so high school students to 70-year-olds. It was beautiful. They worked through stuff together. So the irony is sometimes you don't need some leader up front facilitating. It's done in just community where you're actually allowed to say, you know what, I don't understand that or I disagree with that or I'm really struggling with. And for some, some of us, again, it's stuff from last, last, the last place we were at that we still need to process. So there's more and more talk about deconstructing your faith. I don't like that. But there's some element of that that might need to be done. Because what I'm seeing culturally is we're deconstructing to nothing. Where people are landing is, I ditch it all and I'm, I'm done. That's very different than those that are really wrestling with, you know what, there's some things that I've been taught about submission that are downright from the pit of hell. That is not biblical. Some things I've been taught about marriage or taught about who I'm supposed to be as a mom or dad or husband or wife that I need to undo. And so I need to learn. So. Like you mentioned, this this conference should be a 
week long. I teach at Corbin every fall a human sexuality class, and I can't get more in there. Um, and what used to be a one class period on um, homosexuality is now six different class periods. Looking through all these things, it's gotten more and more well. difficult to, to wrestle with and, and do it again. It's a weird context being in a college, but my kids have been to that class mm. when they were in single digits. So I'm speaking to college students, but it's like, I want to talk to your kids. When I speak at youth groups, I always ask can the middle schoolers be a part of it, and they, most of them don't want that. Like, oh, they're too young. I was like, they're too young for me to tell, talk to them about this that we talked about today. But you send them to where? Where they're teaching them? <laughs> wow, that's scary. And what I presented this earlier today, early this morning, um, I've done that at some churches, two middle school groups. Um, and it's been really cool to listen to their, their breakout groups afterwards of like the best conversations they've ever had, but also the most revealing of, wow, they're struggling more than we realized mm -hmm. in middle school. This needs to go back further, which we'll talk about this afternoon, mm -hmm. uh, to elementary school. Can I ask a question? Is it possible to audit your classes online? Is it possible to audit your classes online? I said it for the I'm not in the registrar, so I have no idea. <laughs> you have to talk to Corbin. Yes, you can audit, but they're not online. They're in person right now. But I actually do have an online version of that class kind of tied with my book going down the talk that I've built to be for teenagers and parents. That's if you homeschool, it's gonna be a homeschool credit, kind of a health credit, that walks through a biblical view. My, the way I teach the class is a theology of a theology of masturbation, a theology of contraception, a theology of singleness in marriage, or a thing of singleness, a theology of dating, all these kind of a what is your belief system is kind of the model I've been teaching this for the last this is my speaking here. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's available on my website. You know, and, and you saying that, there's a couple points I want to make uh, before we release for lunch, and that's when you say it started out like this and then now we're at this six-hour course, right? I want to say that tells me that people are hungry for something, right? And so I just, again, I thank you so much for being here because as I've grown, especially the last nine months, I just encourage you not to get tired of this topic. When you see things about that, that ideologies that you're not about or things that you're not about, just watch yourself going, oh, God, again. Oh, I don't want that to happen, right? Because again, it's the message of, it's not understanding or maybe fully grasping the fact of there's hunger out there. And this topic needs to be talked about and needs to be talked about in a gentle way. And even if it might be something that you're hearing a lot, a lot of different times, instead of having like a, oh, I just don't want that around me, right? Just notice, man, there's some hunger here, right? And there's some, and, and there's maybe a different way I can approach this, even within myself, even when no one's around. Just watch how you think about this, these topics, right? There's a lot of free stuff out there to um, digest and, yeah. and the careful you listen to. I have a podcast where I'm reviewing different things and interviewing people. And um, a few months ago, I did one on gender ideology. It's a little book that, uh, from an English, um, author who really does a good job of walking through the queer theology and how do we get here and tying it to CRT, critical race theory, and, and all these pieces of the, the history that I'm, I was clueless about, but it finally again started making sense. I'm, I'm about to do one on the, on the, the Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, because it's so important, but most of us are not going to give the time to study it in the way that we 
at all. You don't have the time or even want to open that door. That's okay. My wife doesn't like this topic or want to go into any of it. Um, I guess she reads the weirdest, she loves literature, and reads the weirdest books that I just don't even understand. So, that um, have all sorts of weird stuff in it. And we have our different passions and giftings. Uh, my professor, Doug Rosenau, one of the things he talked about in the Institute for Sexual Wholeness was to be missionaries for sexual wholeness. And so he really called us out to, to be someone that's going to spend my life teaching and leading in this area. That's not going to be most of yours. That's okay. So what's yours? You're going to have, I would say, you do have a gifting in an area that's probably your thing. Well, you could actually do more of that, um, which would be important. Mm-hmm. Now, someone before in the break asked also about what is the difference between homosexuality and transgender? I think we might have to circle back to that. Okay. <laughs> I get a really serious for lunch. Okay. But that is something I think we can circle back to and maybe do it Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.